listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's into the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam. I'm telling you. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux. Today joining me for episode 272 of the show is Keaton DeRocher and Bob Osgood of Over the Monster. Uh, welcome back to the show, gentlemen. Uh, Keaton, what's popping? Not much, man. Um, just doing that logistics and supply chain thing. Attending a little expo this week here in Chicago. Yeah. Okay, uh, uh, Bob, you got anything more interesting than logistics and supply chain over there? Uh, I don't know. Drafting some fantasy teams, that's kind of fun. That's kind of what my week has been focused on a little bit, getting ready for that. So probably not exciting, and no one cares about anyone else's fantasy team, so we don't need to dive into that. Let's get into the show. Yeah, you're right. I'm glad this is a baseball show, because you guys definitely just biffed it with the uh the intro stuff thank you. Uh, you you went from i i'm vacationing in netherlands to supply chain so it's well, uh i was vacationing boring all winter well, i was yes. also in the netherlands for supply chain no oh god all right enough <laughs> all right we've got a lot of baseball stuff to talk about today that has nothing to do with supply chains um you know a lot of spring training news this is really just a big news dump show where we're gonna comment on some stuff get you out of here relatively quickly we've got a couple listener questions as well let's get right to it keaton we're going to start with you here because uh this is big keaton news tanner hoke apparently uh according to cora has the leg up on the fourth spot in the rotation um and reports are that he is working to be more consistent with that splitter that you like so much he's also added a cutter this spring which he's been trying to uh throw a lot which might explain some of the really crappy outings that he's had uh, in spring training. Um, And he's going to add these two pitches to go with his sinker and his excellent slider. So how bullish are you on Tanner Hoke, seeing that now he is locked into this fourth spot, seems like, and uh, he's got a couple other offerings that he's working with. Are you uh, thinking that this is the breakout for Tanner Hoke at this point? I hope so. I mean, last time we talked about... um, he just needs to throw the splitter more, and I feel real great about it. And it seems like either they were listening or they also have access to the same data that I could see and were like, hey, maybe you should throw it more. Uh, and so they've convinced him to do the same. So, yeah, I'm really excited about it. Um, the beginning of last year, um, doing like the positional uh, player-by-player previews or what, the one, one Big Question article series, um, I particularly wanted to write about Tanner Houck um, to write about this very topic uh, and did just that and pointed out how all he had to do was throw a splitter more because it is devastating when he does um, mixed with all of his other pitches, not just on his own, but upping the usage and actually using three pitches, he was crazy effective. So um, was really looking for him to actually put that to use, start throwing it more, and be more effective, and it didn't really happen. Um, but it looks like he's actually going to be committing to throwing that a lot more and actually having more of a pitch mix uh, and even kind of mixing in that cutter in there too every now and then. So, yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. Um, I do really hope that the walks get under control, and maybe I'm really, really am hoping, as you pointed out, that that's probably uh, could be attributed to the, the – tossing the slider in there and and maybe not having quite a feel for it just yet so either uh ditch that when it counts uh or figure it out um but i think that uh, honestly with the three pitches that he has he could be effective enough um that doesn't have to really try that all that often so and really it's it's sort of five pitches too because he has the four seam too that he can use and we've we've seen him use both of those fastballs um Bob, my question for you about this is, you know, since you obviously played baseball for a long time, just like Keaton has, um, but, you know, you've been on the mound a good bit, 
when you're on the mound and you're trying to add in a new offering, um, whether it be, you know, it really doesn't matter what the pitch is, splitter, whatever, cutter, um, you know, you got to get comfortable with that pitch and you have to be comfortable throwing that in counts or you're going to be in, in really any count or you're going to be overly reliant on the stuff that you already have. So what kind of things are you going to be looking for from Tanner Houck um, either this spring uh, in his remaining starts or early in the season to let you know that he's incorporating those two new pitches effectively? I think for me, when I'm in that situation, I'm working on it in bullpens, I'm working on it in pregame, and then I'm trying to find spots in the game that are less important pitches, right? Um, you know, whether it's not a close game or maybe there's nobody on base. And if you if you let one fly with a changeup and you hit somebody, it's not as damaging with two outs or something like that. And that might explain why he's using it more in spring training. I think when you are trying to make it, he might have assurances, you know, that, that he is going to be in that rotation and to work on this now um, to get comfortable with it. Whereas if you're trying to make the team, you're putting your best stuff out there if your spot is on the line. <clears throat> so, I mean, it sucks trying to analyze anything with spring training, right? You know, should we worry about this? Should we read into lineups? This guy's had a slow start. Oh, it's okay because it's spring training. This guy's had a slow start. Uh, well, he's a young guy, so we should worry about it. I mean, it's tough to analyze in general, but I thought that the, the what's come out uh, in some of the quotes have been interesting that he is working on some different things. I'm sure it's a focus to try to pitch deeper into games. If he is going to be starting to get through um, a third time. And I think to your point, you know, when you're trying to work something in, you don't want to use that for the first time in games with runners on base in a regular season game. As Keaton said, we'd like to see the walks come down a little bit. But they haven't been terrible at the major league level. He's had 3.2 walks per nine. Um, and I like to think that he's, you know, he's just going to figure out what he's comfortable with and get back to about three walks per nine when the season starts. Yeah, that's the thing I'm a little bit worried about is that uh, if if Hulk does kind of get scared off of using these new offerings in, you know, situations where he needs to, um, it could be bad, and we could just see old old Hauk. So, I'm going to be kind of looking for him to go to those pitches, to go to the cutter, go to the splitter in situations where he needs to get a guy out or he needs to turn the lineup over again for the third time. Um, and and you know, I'm totally okay with him being a little bit more reliant on um, you know his classic sinker slider mix in the early innings. But I mean, that's the issue with him is he can't turn the lineup over for a second or third time sometimes and second times sometimes fine but I really want to see him commit to those pitches and if he does that I think that you know he can be really good but um, if he doesn't I am not sure that he is deserving of the fourth spot in the rotation uh, because he's got two guys behind him uh, in Cutter Crawford and Josh Winkowski who are competing for the fifth spot in the rotation and frankly both Josh Winkowski and Cutter Crawford have outpitched him this spring, and it's not particularly close at this point. Um, I think Crawford's got the leg up in this race for the fifth. Uh, there were last two starts. Crawford had a four and two-thirds innings pitched, five strikeouts, no runs, two walks. Winkowski's last outing, he had five innings pitched, three Ks, two unearned runs. Uh, I think both of these guys, if you look at just the numbers and the experience that they have, are probably more deserving of the rotation spot. But I totally get why the Red Sox are doing this. I mean, Tanner Houck has a higher ceiling in the rotation with two more pitches uh, than either of these guys does. But uh, who do you think has the leg up in this competition between Crawford? Let's start with you, Bob. Yeah, I, and I've kind of maintained that I think we, while those other pitchers are injured, that I think Houck is, is the fourth and that Cutter Crawford is the fifth. Um just really good numbers in the spring training. And, and that has to account for something when Kowski's have been really good as well with no earned runs. Um, but looking at Crawford, 13 and a third, 10 hits, three runs, uh, no home runs, three walks, 14 strikeouts. So less than a base runner, an inning. Um, Winkowski, very similar, less than a base runner, an inning as well. But I think that Crawford got the shot last year. Um, more often than Winkowski, and I just 
kind of from the eye test last year, the games that I watched, I saw Crawford kind of with a better chance of being a starter and Winkowski maybe a long man in the bullpen. But I think Winkowski will be needed because we're going to talk about some of the just injuries in general, but additional injuries that have happened with the bullpen, and they're going to need some length back there. So, you know, like I said, really similar spring trainings, but I think Crawford, um, just personally from what I saw last year, I thought had a little bit more staying power um, as a fifth starter than Winkowski. Yeah, hard to disagree with that. Um, Keaton, we, we got some really good news, though, over the last couple of days in, in regards to one of the young guys on this team that I know you are incredibly high on in, in Brian Bayo. So he's healthy now. Um, arm seems to be really good. He pitched in his first spring training game since the injury. Uh, he threw two perfect innings, only took 25 pitches to do so. Um, his stuff was really good, 95 to 97 on the fastball. His his changeup had a lot of movement. His slider was great. Uh, everything seemed back to normal. So how encouraging is this? And, and, you know, since he's already throwing a couple innings and looking great, I mean, what's the timeline like here for Bayo in your estimation? Whew, uh, good question. But, uh, boy, was this a relief. Because, um, of course, when it happened, we, we all kind of freaked out a bit. And I think I freaked out um, quite a bit here on this podcast. I, I had to calm you down, right? Remember, <laughs> you, you were talking you sure about did. Tommy John surgery. <laughs> I had to yeah. pump the brakes on that. Oh, yeah. I went immediately uh, from <laughs> I was hoping that zero. he could pitch in 2025. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was terrified. Yeah. Uh, so I was glad you calmed me down. This, yeah, I, this is a, quite a relief. And he looked fantastic. So that, that was great. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously now it's just, I mean, based on this, it seems like they're... Uh, plan of just rest and then trying it again um worked so now it's just building him up um good question i mean it's it's obviously not going to be by opening day uh, but it doesn't seem like it's going to be terribly long after that i kind of feel like before the month of april is up out, out he should be back up there um in the rotation so um it doesn't seem like it's he's going to miss a whole ton of time which i think is really great yeah, it's it's absolutely huge for the the ceiling of this team's rotation. Um, you know, we've talked about it before on this show, but Bayo's stuff uh, has the you know rare ability to really uh, take a step forward. When you look at guys like Crawford or Rinkowski or or even Hauk, who has better stuff than either of those two, I think it's it's difficult to imagine like a top three starter. Uh, in a rotation ceiling for any of those guys. Maybe you can picture it with Hauk if, if those two pitches really break right. But with Bayo, uh, the stuff, you don't really have to squint too hard to see a guy who at his peak of his potential could pitch towards the top of a rotation. So, you know, if we do get to see that breakout this year and we get to see that uh, debut in late April or early May, um, that could be pretty transformative uh, to the season, if you are also getting a healthy, ineffective Chris Sale and uh, an effective Corey Kluber, and you know all these other things, so could be could be huge. Um, next guy that I want to talk about here is Jolie Rodriguez. So unfortunately uh, for Jolie Rodriguez, he is headed to the IL with some side discomfort. Um, he was one of only two lefties that the team was projecting to have in the bullpen. At the beginning of the year, uh, the other one was Richard Blyer. But, um, you know, the, the question now is really, who is Cora going to replace Julie Rodriguez with since he seems like he's going to be out for a little while? It seems like it's pretty substantial at this point. Um, Cora has ruled out Brandon and Walter and Chris Murphy, two guys who I thought could have been potential. I didn't really think Walter was, but I thought they might give Murphy a shot, but he has said, no, those guys are too valuable to us as starters in Worcester. So really, if they want to fill this spot with a lefty, they have to look to Odoner Mosqueda or uh, Ryan Sheriff as options uh, to roll out with as the second lefty. And, uh, you know, looking at these guys' numbers, Sheriff has bounced around since 2011, um, just recently pitched for Team Israel, not an amazing guy, but Mosqueda is, uh, I mean, not an amazing prospect. Maybe he is an amazing guy. Uh, Mosqueda, though, really interesting. 
Uh, pitched as high as Double A last year with the Red Sox. He's 23 years old. Has really interesting stuff. Throws pretty hard. Um, it seems like Mosqueda probably has a leg up here. But Bob, where do you think the Red Sox go with this uh, this second lefty? Do they even go for a second lefty, or do they look to just fill it in with a righty until uh, Jolie gets back? I think they'll fill it in with a righty because of the what they have on the 40 man. Um, and I don't believe Mosqueda is on there. He's and not, yeah. they have moves that I think they already need to make and that there's a crunch on that between, you know, we talked last week about um, Tapia and potentially Alfaro. <clears throat> and I don't see, you know, you could free one up by putting a player in the 60 IL, but I don't see anyone that qualifies for that. So I think it'll be, somewhat temporary i guess maybe not with rodriguez but you know i think paxton probably will be back earlier than that which whether you know i know they didn't want to move him to the bullpen but depending on how many rotation arms that's just another lefty that would be on the roster um so i just there are a couple of relief arms that they could designate for assignment that have not been good in spring training between um caleb ort and wyatt mills who have been uh, particularly Ort has been lit up kind of on almost every outing. So they could make moves there if they think that having that second lefty is essential. Um, but, but this hurt. I think this is a really uh, tough injury to Rodriguez because they gave him significant money. And I think they were really trying to line up the back of that bullpen with Jansen in the ninth, Martin in the eighth, and then Rodriguez and Schreiber there for leverage situations, one from each side late in the game. And they did a good job of that and really focused on it in the offseason. And then, you know, you never know with an oblique. He could miss a month um, or more, depending on how significant it is. So this is a big blow to the bullpen. Keaton, what's your take on this? Do you agree with Bob that because of the roster crunch, they're going to roll with uh, just another righty, somebody who's on the 40-man already? Or do you think that Mosqueda or Sheriff are going to get a chance here to fill in as a second lefty? Well... (laughs) I don't think it's just because of the roster crunch. Um, Muscada is really interesting, but the fact that uh, he only reached as high as double A last year. Um, I mean, I guess he pitched a full season, so it wasn't like a, a partial season there, but it seems kind of weird if they would just um, um, jump him straight from double A to the majors. Um, Red Sox have been aggressive with prospects in the past, but not usually their pitchers, more their hitters. Um, He's a really interesting prospect, really, really electric stuff, um, high strikeout capability, doesn't walk guys, um, which is surprisingly not something this bullpen really has, that kind of profile in a reliever. So he is a really exciting guy, but I just – I would be surprised if they – they kind of had to make that jump. Um, he has had a nice little spring here um, so far, so that is encouraging. But it seems like that would be a lot of a jump. Um, and I just I don't know if there's anything really there with Sheriff. So I feel like, yeah, um, it's I mean, it's not like a permanent thing. Uh, Rodriguez is supposed to come back. It's not supposed to be out for a crazy amount of time, I guess we're looking at like maybe six weeks or so, which um, I guess at this point might be, would it be like a month of game time? Yeah. That's not, that's not a ton of time. I feel like they can, they can roll with one lefty for a month and then kind of figure it out from there. Yeah. I'm a bit split on this. I'm not sure. Um, Well, first of all, when it comes to adding uh, one of these guys for a roster spot, like, you know, if they add Sheriff and then have to DFA him when uh, Jolie comes back, like, I don't care about that because he's a journeyman. With Muscada, I get what you're saying. Uh, clearing the roster spot, you probably are going to want to keep him on the 40-man. Um, and, you know, I don't, I don't know if you want to burn that right now, especially with the fact that you are going to need length from this bullpen. And, Bob, you kind of alluded to that before with Winkowski. Like, I wouldn't mind... Winkowski as a righty uh, getting that spot uh, that's vacated by Jolie and them not having to make 
a roster move there just to give him some added length out of the bullpen too. And I think that, you know, there's enough guys in that bullpen that are effective against either handedness that it probably won't be a big deal uh, to roll with one lefty for a month. So I agree that I think it's unlikely, uh, especially because of that crunch that we have going on here. And I, I want to skip ahead to talk about that roster crunch right now, because it seems like Jorge Alfaro and Rymel Tapia uh, are definitely, you know, having the inside track at making the roster at this point. I, I'd be surprised if both of those guys don't make it. So, you know, looking at this, uh, who gets moved off? I think it's clear that Caleb Ort gets uh, moved off of the 40-man to clear a spot for one of Alfaro or Tapia. Um, but who gets moved off for the other one? Is it Chang? Is it Wyatt Mills? Is it David Hamilton? Uh, or is the second spot, you know, maybe vacated due to a trade of someone like Jaron Duran or uh, Bobby Dahlbeck? What do you think they do with this, Keaton? Yeah, Hamilton to me makes sense as a guy. Um, when we were talking about the Rule 5, I threw him out as a name, as a long shot to get protected just because of the speed, but I didn't really think that it made sense because that's the only reason you would protect him, and there were other guys that made sense over him um and i still feel that way now that's really kind of all he's bringing to the table here and he that like automatically makes him your fourth outfielder on the bench um and you can definitely go other ways so it's like tapia obviously is filling that role so then why why do you need hamilton there on the 40 man so i mean that makes all the sense in the world to me um and then Probably Ort, one of the, the other relievers. They have plenty of kind of just middling relievers that don't necessarily really need their taking up space um, that they can use to create space for somebody else. So um, I think those make sense to me. Uh, the the one that I just struggle to wrap my head around is is David Hamilton because, and I know that Bob, you have some thoughts on how they've managed this forty man over the the last few months, um, but you know putting. David Hamilton in under rule five protection by adding him to the 40 man and not doing that with Thad Ward and then having Thad Ward get taken one, one. And then if you're just DFAing a guy like Hamilton uh, right. to make room for Alfaro and Tapia, that seems pretty stupid and like a poor <laughs> use of roster spots. So uh, what do you see happening with these spots? I mean, or is the easy one. So uh, let's just consider him a lock. He's going to get kicked off this roster for Alfaro or Tapia, but the other one is just very unclear. Yeah, I think the other name is probably, if they're going to make two moves, um, which I'm starting to wonder if they do that for this reason, because all of these pitching injuries that have piled up are pitchers that are either going to be put on the IL or sent to the minors, and there's only so many spots. I, I don't know exactly, but if it's 18 pitchers and 22 hitters, and five pitchers are on the IL, well, that there's your 13, right? So they can't get rid of Mills and Ort. So I would think that Ort would be the first one and Chang would be the second one if they were in that crunch. Because as you said, if they're going to protect Hamilton in January, then and then he's hitting 300 and he's stolen five bases in spring training, it would be weird to do that now. But I would rule nothing out because they've been doing weird things the entire offseason. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, we're going to talk about where Bobby Dahlbeck's been playing in a little bit, but I think you have to read into that a little bit if they feel like they have to make two moves, um, you yeah. know, that the other one could come from the infield. But I think you're running out of spots to release two relievers from the 40-man um, before the season even starts. Yeah, if we consider or a lock, then the discussion becomes more interesting because you're right. I think they see something with Wyatt Mills, and although I don't think he breaks camp with the team, I think they want to keep him uh, in the system. The Chang versus Dahlbeck debate is getting kind of interesting, though, at this point because Dahlbeck has drawn four starts at shortstop over the last few days while they've had all these guys playing in the WBC, so they've been short infielders. Um not that I think Dahlbeck can really play shortstop all that well, um, but it is interesting, and you have to read the tea leaves here. I mean, maybe they think that they have uh, 
gotten enough interest with Yu Chang's performance in the WBC that maybe they can ship Chang out to another team, or maybe Duran or Dahlbeck have increased their stock enough for a trade, or maybe Hamilton's hot spring uh, has made him attractive to other thing, uh, other teams. I just have a feeling that aside from Ort getting DFA'd, that one of Chang, Hamilton, Duran, or Dahlbeck will be moved to another team in order to clear this spot. Yeah, I think that's what it comes down to. I agree with that. I'm not going to predict what the trade is. It could be for a reliever. Um, it could be for a lefty reliever. Yeah. Um, you, you know, with what they're running into. I mean, you've got Whitlock and Bayo and um, Paxton and Joely Rodriguez. That's four significant names that are going to be out for all or part of April. I mean, Whitlock's probably getting closer, but I think he's only thrown two to three innings. So, you know, maybe he's back the second time through. But if you've got four of those um, and a couple of those being lefties, that it's possible that they, they make a trade with one of those guys for a left-handed pitcher. That's the only other thing I can think of. One more question before we wrap this up for you guys. I, I want to get your pulse on... Uh, before we get to actually a listener question about this very thing, how do you guys feel about Alfaro and Tapia making the team? I'm like 95% sure both of them are making the team. Uh, Keaton, what do you think? Yeah. Probably that high. You, Bob? I'm 95 on Tapia. I'm about 50 on Alfaro because okay. of the later opt-out. And if Wong can get back for opening day, I think it gives them more flexibility with what they already have going on with the 40-man. Um, and then, yeah, so they, they wouldn't have to clear a spot. I just think it's it's um, becoming more of a crunch. Maybe I'm overrating a couple of the guys that are on there, but I think that it just allows them to have one more flexible option, even though it if you're trying to win, it doesn't make sense because he's come back and he's gotten hits in, in all of the games since returning from the baseball classic. So when a guy's hitting 700 in the spring, it's weird to say that it's 50-50, but I, just, I think they have more time to make that decision and might use that to their advantage. Sorry for my hesitation there, Jake. I was, uh, I was sending off a fire tweet about the WBC. <laughs> okay. I had to get it out there. Of course. Um no, I mean, with Alfaro, though, I used to not be an Alfaro guy. Um, and, and maybe it was just because I hadn't watched enough of Alfaro. I would always see him play, and he would just be striking out. But there is something to the physicality and the tools uh, that are there. And I know he's you know not a prospect anymore, so he probably is what he is right now. But I do really like the tools uh, that, that he has, and I think it can be valuable and I, I like the swag as well, so I, I am in favor of, of him starting on the team. We do have a couple emails that are relevant to, or a couple questions that are relevant to these exact things that I want to get to before we uh, talk about our next topic. The surfing guy, who has been a, a great listener of the show for a long time, says, if Tapia makes the team, which seems likely, and we all agree that that's true, uh, do you think he'd make a good leadoff hitter? It seems like with speed and pop, not sure about OBP in the regular season, though. This is an interesting question because... You know, Cora has been talking about who is going to be uh, leading off, and this kind of leads into our next segment here. He has said that the leadoff uh, spot will be sort of between a bunch of guys, Arroyo, Casas, Verdugo, Kike, Ref Snyder against lefties, all seem like options. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if he got a little bit of time there in Tapia, but I don't see that that's going to be a spot that he's regularly in as good of spring as he's having. He's not really that caliber of player or he hasn't been throughout his career. So I'd be a little surprised if he got significant time there. Uh, you know, he, he seems to be playing a little over his head in the spring. 
What do you guys think? Yeah, he doesn't. I mean, he doesn't really have a ton of pop, but not that he really has to have that in order to lead off. Um, he's also only had double digit steals once, which kind of like came out of nowhere a bit in 2021. He stole 20, uh, which was more than double any other season that he's had. Um, but again, I don't think you, the steals really kind of like matters. And maybe with the larger bases, we see him running more. And I believe Cora wants the team in, as a whole to run more. I think more, um, my thing with Tapia being leadoff is I don't think he's going to be in the lineup every day or, um, I'm kind of expecting him to be that just that bench fourth guy, kind of spelling guys. Um, I know they move the roster around. I don't know how many times a week he's going to play. Maybe two or three. So I don't. I don't necessarily know. I mean, when he's in, if he's the leadoff guy, maybe that makes sense. Um, but I think I kind of agree with you. He is maybe playing a little bit above his head in the spring, which again, as you mentioned before, kind of hard to to think that there's going to be an equal translation from spring to regular season. So I, I don't know if I would do that right away. I think when he is in the lineup, I think you got to start him at the bottom and make his earn, earn, it, earn his way to the top. Um, and I think that he may get a chance here and there. He may be part of that mix of everybody kind of at the top until someone claims it. But I kind of like the Casas idea. Um, put him out there right away. Um, a big slow guy leading off. You like that? I'm so shocked, Keaton. <laughs> hey man it's all about that obp just get on base i don't care how you do it <laughs> so yeah, yeah he draws a walk sure i don't care i don't you don't have to be the fastest guy in the world to hit leadoff no you don't base. i mean aaron judge is hitting leadoff uh a lot of the time obviously he's a little bit more athletic than casas but yeah i mean th- this is an interesting situation i've i'm very familiar with things like closer by committee or who's the ace or, you know, dumb stuff like that that's happened in baseball. But I am not really all that familiar with the uh, leadoff hitter by committee thing. Bob, <laughs> what are your thoughts on this uh, this situation where we could have the one spot, which is, I mean, this is a very important spot in the lineup. It's the guy who's, I mean, the one spot gets the most at bats out of any any spot. So what are yeah. your thoughts on on the fact that this seems to be, some sort of a rotation of dudes. I think that this is as interesting as any storyline right now. Um, obviously, it's such an important spot, and they've already pretty much said who's going to be hitting second, third, and fourth. Um, for Tapia, I agree with what Keaton said. I think he'll be in there to kind of spell guys, and I think when he is, he probably hit ninth just because he has a OBP around, I think it was like 314 or so in his career. I think Verdugo would be a better choice for leadoff at, with a 341 career OBP and a 280 average last year and struck out 13% of the time. I think that would be a better choice. I can be sold on Cassis. I have to see it. I have to see that he is consistently um, you know, getting on base at the major league level. It was a good sign last year. Obviously, this would probably be against right-handed pitchers that we're talking about. So I think... To start, Verdugo is probably the best choice. Um, but if Cassis gets up and proves that early in the season, I can see that happening too. Um, and I think Tappy would probably hit, you know, as your second leadoff guy, maybe in the the nine spot to get some speed on ahead of everyone that we're talking about here. Obviously, specifically against righties. Yeah, I like him in the nine spot too. It's it's not Trey Turner in the nine spot like the USA team has had, but you know it'll do. Um, but yeah, I mean the the second through four spots that you alluded to Cora has said that it's going to be Devers in the two hole Turner in the three hole and Yoshi in the four uh, in the cleanup spot so I mean that's what we thought that's what we've kind of theorized here on this show over the last couple weeks kind of reading into things that Cora has said and then he just came out and kind of told us what it was going to be so yeah it'll be interesting to watch Verdugo is also my favorite for that spot but um you know, we, we shall see. Our second uh, listener question comes in email form from Evan. He says, hey, guys, I don't know if it's the hair or the power bat, but I'm kind of excited about Jorge Alfaro. Completely agree, Evan. Uh, is the defense really that disastrous, especially given that his strong throwing arm is going to be more relevant with the rule changes this year? Evan's talking about the bigger bases, so guys running a little bit more. Uh, also, how are we feeling about Reese McGuire? He's going to be a big part of this team in 2023. 
uh, but nobody is really talking about them. So when I saw this email from Evan, guys, I was like, I I get it. You know, I, I'm feeling the excitement about Alfaro too. As I said before, I wasn't really big on him, but he's done enough to kind of pull me in um, over the offseason. I am expecting him to be kind of a big power guy for this team uh, when he does play, and I think that he'll be the short side of a platoon uh, with Reese McGuire for most of the year. And I think that's not a bad catching situation to have. Uh, the defense is certainly uh, not great with uh, Jorge Alfaro, but the pop times are elite. The strikeouts will frustrate us, but he'll also run into some huge hits and some huge home runs. So, you know, I think that's fine uh, as the short side of a platoon. With Reese McGuire, it definitely seems like something has clicked with him here with the Red Sox. He's talked about it a little bit, um, about how him and the hitting coach Pete Fatsi have been uh, good at communicating with one another and that he's kind of refined his swing since he's been here. He's always hit righties. He's a career 275 hitter uh, against righties over his career, um, substantially better than he is against lefties. So I don't know. I, I kind of like the catching tandem of Maguire and Alfaro, and I'm not all that upset that the Red Sox didn't, like, try and go out and really address this hard. You know, if I wanted them to be in on um, the dude who was traded, Sean Murphy, um, to Atlanta. But outside of that, like, there was no real free agents that I was like, yeah, these guys got to go out and get that guy. So, I don't know, kind of fine with this. Uh, Where are you at with this, Bob? Yeah, I agree with that. I think that McGuire being the strong side of the platoon and the better, I guess, kind of overall defensive metrics, right? Alfaro sticks out in a couple of places, but McGuire looked like he could handle the staff well last year. You know, he hit 337, which he's not going to do, but as you said, something clicked. He obviously worked well with the coaching staff here. He had some big hits, albeit in some meaningless games. Um, but, you know, 145 WRC plus in 108 plate appearances isn't nothing. So I think that he looked good on both sides of the plate. And I agree. A catcher was kind of towards the bottom of my list of concerns in the offseason. Um, with Alfaro, you mentioned his pop time. It's tied for second best in the whole league at 1.89. And has a good arm. Obviously, you know, probably his kind of framing and receiving is, is down a little bit as I think he had you guys were talking before the show a little bit about lower on the some of the other metrics like defensive run save so I'll leave that to you but it's not like he's a liability he can contribute with his arm good pop time and he's on the short side of the platoon and then also you could bring him in as a pinch hitter or vice versa with a lefty righty um, that you can do with these two catchers. I feel like they complement each other well with what they both bring to the table. I mean, can't you just see Reese McGuire out there stroking it to right field, <laughs> spraying it to left field, <laughs> jamming it to center? I mean... He can yank it. I he totally can yank agree. It. He can do all those things. You know, I thought about it too. I thought about going there. So I'm glad it was you, Jake. <laughs> You're rubbing off on me, Bob. And what? <laughs> We're not in the same room. Don't worry, people. <laughs> All right. Um, so let's get to the WBC here before we wrap it up and get out of here. Wait, uh, I got some numbers, man. You didn't let me oh, shoot. toss out okay. my fancy defensive run saved here. Come on in, Keaton. It's a party. Yeah. Uh, so there actually is a massive gap defensively between these two. Um, so looking back to 2018 to last year, um, Jorge Alfaro actually has twice the innings, 3,000 innings to Maguire's 1,500. Uh, uh, is at minus 11 on the defensive run saves. Uh, Maguire at plus six. Big difference. Um, where um, they are kind of similar, but again, the kind of the innings gap makes it not really similar. They are similar in the stolen bases uh, run save, which would be where... Um, I believe the listener mentioned the arm strength on um, stolen base attempts. Alfaro had is actually at plus five since 2018. Maguire at plus four, but again in like half the innings, um, 
kind of expect Wire to be a lot better there. But if you shrink that window to look at more of what they've done recently and look at last year, Wire was plus three last year. Alfaro was minus one. So it seems like a little bit of that arm strength starting to go. Uh, Rich McGuire also much higher marks on uh, their earned run, adjusted earned run. Defensive run save, which is essentially their ability to handle a staff and strike zone run saves, so pitch framing. Um, so there's a, a massive gap between the two, and I really kind of only expect Alfaro to be bringing the the power. And what I guess what are you expecting from Alfaro power wise? Because he I don't believe even has a 20 home run season here um, in the majors to this point. I can get 10 ding-dongs off the bench over the course of the year, you know, kind of playing uh, in the short side of that platoon and then maybe coming in late in games and hitting situations when the team's down. Um, and and also, I mean, the, Evan's right. The hair. The hair has to be worth, <laughs> what, a third of a win? I mean, he, he looks like a guy who could play uh, Maui in the next Moana movie or something. I mean, he's like... He's, he's terrifying he's, at the plate. I agree. Yeah, he's he's uh, he's got the look. So uh, I don't know. I I'm expecting ten jacks. To your point, Keaton, the 34 percent strikeout rate shouldn't just be completely ignored. You know that that's going to limit balls in play and how many home runs he hits. But if he's playing 50 games, 200 plate appearances, I think they can deal with that. How many jacks? Eight. Eight, nine. Okay. Okay. He had seven in 82 games last year. We're talking about one third of the time. Yeah. He's going to get basically, so I was going to be a circus and there's going to be some great celebrations. And that's really all I'm here for. I was going to liken the, um, the question to how just the general prospect community felt about Alfaro when he was coming up. Because uh, he was a top 40 prospect at one point with a big fat 60 on the power. Because um, everybody thought that was basically going to translate and he was going to play average enough defense to be a really exciting uh, catching prospect. And um, none of it has really caught up to him yet. Yeah, I, I think... Uh... And at 30, I'm, uh, I'm now not really expecting it to. <laughs> Yeah, the shine is uh, is off. The hit tool is what it is, but hopefully he can just deliver some exciting moments with the Red Sox this year. All right, now to the WBC to wrap up the show. Uh, Kike, Jorge Alfaro, Yu Chang, Devers, Blyer, uh, all these guys are back from the WBC. They're in camp now. Verdugo and Duran are playing with Team Mexico right now against Yoshi and Team Japan. My general question to you guys is, you know, we were excited about this tournament. I guess Keaton and I a little bit more than Bob. Um, but how have you enjoyed the tournament? And is it living up to what you kind of thought it would? You start, Keaton. Yeah, I'm having a great time. Uh, I've been watching this Mexico-Japan game the entire time. We've been podcasting, sending out fire tweets uh, in the middle of our podcast here. Uh, so I'm clearly 100 focused. Yeah, yeah thank, thanks <laughs> for the, the commitment. Yeah. <laughs> Giving you guys great. my all here, uh, solid multitasker. Um, so, yeah, uh, I mean these games have been great, especially as we've gotten closer and closer and gotten to you know out of the the group stage to the elimination here. These games have been fantastic. The passion from all the players has been awesome. Um, everybody's been getting their strut on, which I love. Love seeing it this early in March. Love seeing meaningful games in March. This has been so much fun. I loved it. Yeah, that USA-Venezuela uh, game was one of the better baseball games I've seen in a while. Uh, not just, you know, um, you know, from this tournament, but just in the last couple of years. That was one of the best games um, that I've seen. And then, you know, Puerto Rico also... Uh, putting a scare into a lot of teams and eliminating the DR, you know, there's there's a lot of cool stuff that has happened this tournament, and especially looking at that lineup and uh, the the pitching for Puerto Rico, I wasn't exactly 
predicting them to have that type of success uh, this year. So that's been cool. And I mean, Japan is just a wagon. Um, the the pitching that they have versus everybody else in this tournament, it's it's pretty impressive. So I've absolutely loved this tournament. Um, and I get that people are a little frustrated with the injuries and stuff like that. But to me, it's just it's so good. And these guys clearly care about it so much. I mean, they were talking to a bunch of these players about the moments that they've had and, you know, particularly Trey Turner talking about like how the home run that he hit against Venezuela, you know, might be the biggest home run that he's had in his career. Um, you know, Randy Rosarena comparing it favorably to his experience in the World Series. These guys really care about this tournament and uh, it shows. Rosarena has been putting on a show tonight. Yeah, he's he's a having beast. a blast. Every big game he shows up. Yeah. No. Which is real, real damn annoying for us. Right. Um, I am not against the WBC, to be clear. I'm indifferent. But if you're not a fan of this tournament, that's okay. And I feel like that has been a very controversial take, especially on, on Twitter, which is a toxic place to begin with. But, you know, you see that. As long as you're not being a bigot or openly rooting for other teams' players to get injured, like, I understand that's problematic. But, like, if you're not into this tournament, geez, you go through the comments, and it's like, you're getting an unfollow from me. That's a trash take. It's okay if you're not into this, as much as I totally get that it has been um, great and the players are loving it, and I'm glad that you guys are loving it. I personally have... Too much going on this time of year, and I haven't been able to catch a whole lot, but I'm not against it. But it's okay if you are. Indifferent, Bob? That's a pretty trash take. I'm going to have to unfollow you. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, Bob, your first mistake was going on Twitter in the first place. I have not (laughs) fired off a single tweet about the WBC or... I don't even think I've tweeted in in, in the the past... uh, month here so yeah i've just been enjoying it for what it is catching it when i can and uh it's a great compliment i mean march is usually a basketball time it's nice to have some baseball in there too so it's it's good I've, i've been flipping between tournament games and wbc games and it's it's nice to have all that stuff available to us we're living in a quite a a nice time for sports at this point and I, I have to say, before, before, hold on one second. One more point about the WBC. The team that I wasn't expecting to enjoy watching as much as I had this year was Venezuela. Like, I knew that that was a good roster, but damn, that is a really good roster. Like, a really, really freaking good team. And I think Venezuela is going to win it sooner than later. I, I wouldn't be shocked if they win it in the next tournament. Now, I was watching when they eliminated DR, which um, was terribly depressing to see what happened during that celebration to Edwin Diaz. And you have to think that um, it was his brother that blew the save in the next game. And it just seems as if they're kind of the wind got taken out of their sails after that happened, which to your point, um, you know, they might be playing today or uh, in the finals if if not for that injury, and that was just one of the sadder things to watch uh, on the baseball field when you see the the wheelchair come out. That was uh, Twilight Zone. I couldn't figure out what happened. Yeah, that was bad. That was good. There's my WBC take. You guys happy? Keaton, are you happy? Or are you unfollowing Bob? I guess I won't unfollow you. (laughs) <laughs> thanks man i have a lot to talk to you about <laughs> yeah all right well that's our show today uh we hope that everybody enjoyed it uh everybody should be uh currently as we're recording this watching the uh the mexico uh japan game i know i and, am and uh well yes you are um <laughs> much to the the uh detriment of us in this show um but uh you know the the USA against either of these teams game is going to be awesome. That'll be today as you're listening to this show. So make sure you tune into that championship game and hopefully uh good old USA defends their crown. It'll be cool.
So thanks for joining us, guys. We'll be with you again next week, and we appreciate the listen. You can uh, follow us on Twitter. You can follow Bob at BobOsgood15. You can follow Keaton at the Spoken Keats. You can follow me at DevJake. You can follow Over the Monster at Over the Monster. And that is it. <laughs>